Well, good morning and welcome to New Hope Church. This is the part of worship where we continue with our offerings and tithes to the Lord. If you're visiting here from the, another church, um, please accept this service as a gift from us. If you're just checking us out for the first time and you're not sure, please just take this as a gift. But if you call New Hope your home church as I, as I do, please participate in supporting our church um, as I would, because it's a blessing. There are blessings that's involved with tithing that the Lord commands. You know, we came through a busy uh, season, Christmas season, New Year's season, and, you know, we had a lot of activities up here. We had, like, family Ohana nights, or I think it was called Christmas Ohana night, and it was a lot of fun. And we got other conferences coming up this New Year's, uh, the Pause Conference, which, uh, for you guys, it's a great time. I used to think of marriage counseling uh, events and things as, oh, no, something. But I grew so much, and I got to know so much. And uh, with that, my wife is more than a best friend. You know, she's a wife that is above friendship. But as we go through um, the tithes and offerings, it helps our church to reach out to the community one relationship at a time. Now, I lost my father about 25 years ago, and a friend of his led him to the Lord. And that friend was somebody that was part of our church here at that time. And through that, through his growing in the church, my the friend, he was able to witness to others. Just like we should, you know, the new year coming up, um, as a resolution, we should be able to go out and share the exciting times that New Hope has, the things that we do to encourage family, the things we do to reach out to our uh, friends and, and, and just witness what Jesus is doing in our lives. Because my dad accepted Jesus 25 years ago through a friend. When my mom passed away recently, my sister and I, um, we witnessed to mom, and she knows Jesus, and I know that they'll be in heaven when I go to heaven myself, and this is just the reassurance. Now, how great, let me back up, it is great that we're going to have them in heaven, but what do we have influence in, in reaching heaven? The word says we cannot take anything to heaven with us. The treasures we save up here on earth will, will rust away, eaten by moss and things like that. But when you witness to a friend or a family, you have influence that they will get to heaven. You might be the one that somebody comes to know Jesus through. So take that investment, use it, because Jesus paid the price. It's a free gift that we get to share through the excitement of our church who Jesus is in our lives. Uh, let us pray for the offerings. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you that you use us to reach the community one relationship at a time through friends, through family, through activities of the church. You give us something to look forward to, to have a hope and a dream in tomorrow. And Lord, we just love you. I ask for your presence to be here with us at all times, especially today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tom. Oh, boy, we are in a series where we're talking about all things new. And the only one who can really make all things new is God himself. 
Like there are new TV shows that come out, new apps that come out, new TV apps that come out. Remember cable? Well, some of you still have it. You'd have different cable channels and you'd have to scroll down the different channels and then you'd have to find what show is playing when. Now you can watch whenever you want to or for certain ones, but now you have different apps. You have the Disney app, you have whatever else apps. I don't, <laughs> I don't have the ones. Uh, I know you have, there's Netflix and, you know, all these different ones. And now it's like all spread out. So now they're going to come up with a new app that brings them all together. All in one. Kind of like how cable was. So really, we're not doing anything new. We're just going in circles. As human beings, we think we're doing new things. The Bible even tells us there's nothing new under the sun. And when it comes to God and the things that he does, he's the only one that can actually make something new again because he's the creator. Remember in the book of Genesis, it says, in the beginning God created. God can create out of nothing. He's the creator. He's that powerful. So if there's something in our lives that we're thinking of, that we're saying, boy, I really want to renew this. I want, to, I want all things to be new in an area of relationship or family or finances. I want, I, want, I want to start fresh again. God can do that. That's what this series is about. It's he's able to make all things new. And today we're going to focus on how God uses us to do that wherever we would go. We're calling it igniting the atmosphere. Like how can we be a people who ignite the atmosphere? So we're going to take some notes today. If you came in and you're given a bulletin, maybe there are some notes in there. Or if you, use, if you use the church app, that's fine too because there are some notes in there at the same time. Just think about it. God has given every single one of us unique qualities and abilities to be used for a specific reason. And it's actually to be used for him. We live in a world and in a culture that's darkened, that at, at, at any given time there's something bad that is happening around the world. Sometimes there's something bad happening in our own families or in our own community, in our own work environments. But we live in a darkened world, and God wants to use us as believers to light up the world, to bring light into the world, to, to ignite the atmosphere around us so that he can use us in the hopes that people find him, that people would find hope and healing in Jesus Christ. That word ignite, it means, it means to begin to burn, like when a rocket is ignited and then it takes off to go into deep space. It needs that ignition in order for it to take off. Your car, when it hopefully today was starting, that when you turn the key, it ignites in the engine. It actually explodes, but it's, it's controlled. So it, it, it bursts into flames so that it can bring power to your car. You, but you need that ignition. Something needs to ignite in order for that power to go. And so it is with the power that God has given to you and I, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of his spirit. But something needs to ignite it. Although we may walk around with the spirit of the living God, he wants us to ignite the atmosphere, the atmosphere around us, the air around us. There was a song that came out in 1977. His name is John Paul Young. Some of you might remember this man because we're at that age. I had to look it up because I was about five years old. But the song was, love is in the air. 
Something, 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 something. I don't know the rest of the words. But that was the, that was the title. Love is in the air. And then and throughout the entire song, that's what he keeps saying. Love is in the air. And he keeps going. Nah, nah, nah. And, so, and I'm thinking, like, what does he mean? What does he mean that love is in the air? Was he talking about romance? Was he talking about friends? Was he, what, what was he talking about? Family? Love is in the air. I got to look at the lyrics. But what I did realize is what he was trying to say is love is everywhere. But then I started to think about, wait, if love is in the air, how come so many people don't feel loved? If love is in the air, then why can't we just grab love and just... Why can't we just grab love? If love is in the air, why can't we just obtain it? And it could very well be that the love that he's trying to talk about is God's love. Now, there is a difference between our kind of love and God's love. Our love is so different than God's love. Our love is based a lot of times on feeling. We feel and then we love or we say that's what love is. And what happens is if that's the base and the foundation of our love by feeling, then that, that love will come and go and it'll, it'll, it'll die out sooner than later. But if it's God's love, then how do we stay consistent in that so that we ignite the atmosphere wherever we would go? And why does, if, if, if I have God's love, why, do not, why don't I always feel love? Or why don't I always give love? If that's, if that's what love is all about, if, it, if it's the spirit of God and I have his spirit, why don't I feel loved and give love? Well, in 2 Timothy, Paul the apostle, who was someone who gave his life to Jesus Christ after Jesus rose from the grave. He saw a vision of Jesus and he turned his life over to Christ. But Paul the apostle is now spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we now have access to God because of the forgiveness of sin that was given at the cross when Jesus died for our sins. So Paul is preaching this. He comes across a young man by the name of Timothy. And he's coaching young Timothy, and he writes this in a letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says this to Timothy. He says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. What Paul was saying to Timothy is, if you, if you love people with your feelings, you're excited one day or you're depressed the next day. If you're, if you're loving people like that or you're, you're basing even God's love on that, then, then you're going to fail. You're, you're going to feel unloved at times because you're using feeling to describe what love is all about. But I want to fan into flame. That's what he's saying to Timothy. I want to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. In other words, Timothy, you're going to go through times where you're not going to feel like you used to. You're going to have some ups and downs, Timothy. But I want to encourage you, Timothy, that God is going to use you to ignite the atmosphere around you. Therefore, you're going to need to fan that flame. You're going to need that flame to not go out. Don't be timid. Don't be fearful. Don't be afraid. Don't be without courage. Because God has given you a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So we're going to remember that these three things helps us to ignite the atmosphere around us. 
our families, our marriages, our, uh, even as a single person, that wherever we would go, that God would use us to ignite the atmosphere. Here's what we're going to look at. The first thing is to remember this, that God empowers us to ignite the atmosphere around us. He empowers us. In other words, it's not us. It's not our love. It's not how we feel. It's not if I get up on the right side of the bed or if I have a great morning, that's going to determine if I'm going to have a good day. God is going to determine that and my relationship with him because he has given us that power to ignite the atmosphere around us. That word ignite also means to catch fire, to burst into flames, to erupt or to explode or to light. We, we, there, there's, this, there's this song I heard it, and you may have heard it before. Like, it, it almost speaks of just coming in and, and you're, you're changing the atmosphere. And the lyrics go like this. I came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, some of you know the song. And it's not talking about igniting the atmosphere. But some of us are like that. We show up at a party. We're like, hey, the party's going to get started now. I'm here. And we feel like that's what it means to ignite the atmosphere. That I'm going to come in like a wrecking ball. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible is talking about. The Bible is not talking about we come in with a feeling. Like the song says, I got a feeling that tonight's going to be a... See, some of you even know the song. We think that it's going to be a feeling that we have that's going to change the atmosphere. But it's really not a feeling that we have. That's the way of the world. The world says we got to put on that show. We have to, we have to act that part. We have to, we have to be happy we have to look happy. We have to, even if we're not having a good day, i got to post something. Post that. I'm so depressed. But everybody sees that one second snapshot and it's like, wow, that person is the happiest person in the world. Maybe, maybe not. God is not saying we're supposed to act that way. He's saying there's a, there's a, a fire that's deep inside that I put there, but sometimes it goes out and there's, there's just like just little embers that are there. That God has to once again fan into flame because we've forgotten who we are. We forgot that the joy of the Lord is not a feeling that we have. It's a strength that is given. And we are people who are given the responsibility to ignite the atmosphere wherever we would go. And God has given that to us. We even have phrases. We have phrases. This is so cool. We say this. It's going to be lit. We even have to say it like that. You can't say it like, oh, you should come to my house tonight. It's going to be lit. Yeah, that don't make sense. But we use those phrases to make it sound even better. We use the word awesome. Oh, it's going to be so awesome. Like that stood the test of time. We still use that word today. Or we just say, it's going to be great. It's going to be so good. We try our very best to describe what the atmosphere will be like. Because we all want to have a good atmosphere. We want an, a great atmosphere in our home. We want a great atmosphere wherever we go, at work, at school. We even use the word dope. It's going to be dope, man. It's dope. That means something else too. <laughs> but we use certain words to try to describe what we're going to feel. At the same time, God wants us to ignite the atmosphere around us that it, that it blesses people. That it's not just a... A, a, a happy moment, but it's a, there's a blessing that comes with it. That wh whatever we're doing, that there's a blessing there. That you're not waking up the next day regretting what you did the day before. Or waking up the next day and, and feeling bad because you, you made a poor decision. He's saying, no, I want, I want you to bring a blessing to people. That's why Paul said, I, I, want, I want to fan into flames. 
We've got to fan that flame. Why? Because life snuffs it out. And Paul knew that. So he said, fan that flame. You've got to keep that flame going. You know, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse, verse 12. He says, whenever you enter into the home, give it your blessing. Give it your blessing. And in order for us to give out a blessing, we have to first understand that as God's children, we're blessed. We're blessed by him. It's not about having things. It's about having him. And it's that blessing that we get to bless others in creative ways and thinking about other people and how we can bring a blessing to people. And because of that blessing that he gives to us, it's going to be his power, his strength, because he empowers us to ignite the atmosphere that surrounds us. Now, there are going to be certain people who ignite the atmosphere when they arrive, like when they come to your house or, or, or if you go to a place and you bring a blessing, it, it changes everything. There are certain people that will come to your house, you just don't want them to leave. You're like, hey, you should sleep over. No, we can just hang out, just hang out all night. And those are people that they bring a blessing to your house. And then there are other people, you're like, oh, man, when are they going home? It's like, but I have four hours. We just said, come over for coffee. They drank the whole pot. And it almost feels like there's some people that will add value to people, and then there's some that they just suck the life out of everybody. Don't be that person. Because wherever we go, even as believers, we can become those people that suck the life out of everybody. They will go to a place and we'll say, hey, you know, that's wrong. You know what the Bible says? You know, you shouldn't be doing that. They're like, oh, I don't even know about the Bible. Yeah, well, you should know about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus says, thou shalt not do these things. And this is what the Bible says. And now they're thinking, oh, man, when this guy going to leave? Why you bring him? Oh, I figure, you know, he goes to church, nice person. No, oh, you're not, not nice. You're telling me everything I'm doing is wrong. So what God does is he, he, he gives us a certain personality, a certain ability, certain character qualities so that wherever we go, we bring his blessing, not our condemnation, not our judgment. It's his love. You know how when people loved us, that's the kind of love he wants us to love people with, that we love people into the kingdom of God. Why do we love people? Because here's the second thing, God's love will never fail. And it has to be God's love. It cannot be our love. Our love is very conditional and very judgmental. So before we're able to understand that God's love will never fail, we have to first determine and define what love is and who defines love. Because if I define love and you define love, it may not match up. And if we come to an agreement and we say, okay, this is what love is. Okay, awesome, that's good. That's dope. That's lit. This is what love is. But then someone else, another group says, no, but this is what love is. Well, I kind of see, but I don't agree with everything. Okay, you have that love. We'll have this love. Oh, there's another group. Oh, is that what love is? Uh, I, don't, I completely disagree. Okay, that, that's your love. That's your love. This is our love. So whoever wants this kind of love, come, in, come into this group. And if you, if you don't want this kind of love, they have that kind of love there. So you go to that love. It's like God is up in heaven like, there's only one love. Humans can, can categorize love, but there's only one love. So who defines love? The Bible even tells us, 1 John 4, 8, it says, whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because, let's read it together, because God is love. That is the definition of love, God. That's the foundation of love. It is God himself. So everything and everything that God says, everything that he's about, 
That's where love is defined from. Everything about God. We don't just take bits and pieces from God and say, okay, I don't like that part. I like this part. I don't want that part of love. I want this part of love, the feel-good love. I don't want the discipline part because I, I don't want that. The Bible says that he disciplines those that he loves. But some of us don't want that. So we say, okay, I don't want the discipline part, but I, I like the blessing part, God. Can I have that? He said, no, no. There's no separation because I am love. Let's have the clear distinction that God doesn't have love. If God has love, that means he got it from somewhere. God is love. He doesn't have it. We have love, which we can choose to have it or not. But God is love. He doesn't choose to have it. He is it. That's where love comes from. So before we try to define what love is here on this earth, we have to go back to the true definition of love, which is God. So now that we know where love comes from, what does it look like? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call it the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. It says, love is patient. Love is patient. Let's, let's take our time on this, this passage of Scripture. Love is patient. Aren't you glad that your spouse is the most patient person? Aren't you so glad <laughs> that they're, they're so patient with you? They're calm. I'm the most patient person with Heidi. Ask her. She, she's like, no. I'm patient with you when I am. Yeah? Yeah. You see how I did that? See what I did? I am patient when I am. So love is patient. Love is kind. I think I'm the kindest person on the face of this planet. I really do. I really think. Yeah, that proves that I'm not. You're laughing. Love is kind. Love does not envy. I don't think we envy anybody, right? We don't see other people's lives and say, how come I don't have that? I mean, I don't think we're envious people, are we? We see someone with the next best thing and we're like, I got to get me one of those. Are we envious? Hmm, I wonder. It does not boast. Do we boast in a conversation? Are we talking about ourselves more or are we asking others how they're doing? Love is not proud. See, I, I, I don't think I'm proud. That's the test of pride right there. That's, that's called failure. Like if I have to say, no, I, th I think I'm humble. That's an indication I might not be. So it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. You know, for some reason, Mulan comes to mind. Dishonor on your family, dishonor on your cow. Like they were on to something. They're talking about dishonoring people. But I think even here in Hawaii, we talk about honoring others or respecting our elders. Like we, we learned that. Because there's something about respect and honoring people that at the foundation of it is love. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Imagine if we kept record of wrongs. Imagine if we kept the record of, oh, you spent $200 on shoes. Well, I get to spend $200 on fishing supplies. Okay, you spent $400 on your brand new seat covers. I'm going to spend $400 on these brand new sports equipment. Oh, you spent four hours with your friends. I'm going to spend four hours with my friends. Well, how long did you? Okay, well, 10 hours? You went traveling? You went traveling for three days. I'm going to put three days that I can go hang out with my friends. Like, if we were to keep score, what kind of relationship is that? Guys, we would definitely lose. 
in certain areas. And then women, you would lose in certain areas. So if it's about tallying up marks and keeping records of wrongs, we both lose. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always, after going through the first couple, like just the first one, it's like, wow, I fail already. That I really need God's love. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. You know that word always? You know in marriage counseling, we say not to use that in your marriage in a negative way. Hey, you, you always say that. You always treat me like that. You always do those things. You always park weird. You always drive like that. You always, and it's almost to the negative that we're saying always. Well, the Bible is using it in a positive way. It always protects, always trusts. Even in that, always protects. There's a, a one time, we have a, a yard that is fenced in, in our yard. So there's an area where our dogs can run around. Run around. Well, late at night, Heidi's waking me up. Hey, hey, there's a pig outside. So it's outside of the fence. And I could hear my dogs barking, you know, so I'm sleeping because we have dogs. So she said, I th there's a pig outside. I said, what? She grabs the flashlight and a knife. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, Heidi, they're the pig is going to go away. The pigs come over here all the time. He's like, no, but it's right by the fence. It's like, like egging on our dogs. It's, 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 it's like <laughs> by the dogs, and the dogs are going wild. I was like, they're going to be fine. Heidi jumps over the fence, stabs the boar in the neck. No, I'm just playing. She didn't do that. But that would have been, been cool. That would have been, what? And you guys believe because you know Heidi. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, she would be the one. Yeah, you would be sleeping. Yeah. She would have been giving smoked meat out to everybody. Yeah, it would have been her. I was sleeping, and she comes back in. She goes, next time, go out with me. I'm like, why? You had a knife. Love always protects. I failed at that moment. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. Whose love never fails? God's love. Our love will definitely fail. Our love fails. That's why we have failed relationships. That's why our families fail. That's why our, our, our children go astray. We, because human love does not have the capacity nor the power to sustain humans. We don't. Everything is based on feeling and condition. God's love never fails. Our feelings will fail. Manipulation will fail. Money will fail. Our best efforts will fail, but God's love never fails. We try our very best to introduce people to Jesus. We try to change our children. We try to change our spouse. We try to change other people. We, even, we try to share our faith in various ways. We try to give people hope. We try to bring hope and, and to have people see that there is a future and that there is power in the name of Jesus. But there are some days that you're going to feel like a failure. You're going to fall short. And you're going to come to times that you feel like there's nothing to live for. And you just want to end it all. I remember when, I, uh, when Heidi and I uh, had our child. I was 15 and she was 16. And, and it was around the same time that my dad passed away. And my dad left us when I was, well, left the family when I was seven years old. So I knew a little bit about him, but I didn't really have a relationship with him because he left. But it seemed like around that time, and I even failed my uh, 11th grade year, my junior year. And I didn't know until midway of the next year, I thought I was a senior, which I graduated on time and, 
and uh, did what I needed to do. But it was around that time that I felt like everything around me was just like caving in. Have you ever felt those moments where it just gets darker and darker and darker and there's nothing else to look forward to? Like there is no hope. How do I get out of this? I don't know how to do this. So I, I was living on Oahu and I drove up to the Pali Lookout. And I remember going to the edge and looking over and, and no one else was there. It was late at night. And I remember it vividly because it was cold and there were clouds just, and, and the wind was blowing. And as I'm looking over, I'm thinking, if, if I just do this, if I just jump, then everything will be fine. I won't have to deal with all of this heaviness and darkness. Sometime before that, my sister, who is one year older, she gave me a cross, a gold cross. And uh, I put it on my, my uh, necklace, uh, my, my gold chain that I had. And, and, and as, as I'm leaning over and looking and thinking, if I do this, then, you know, everything will be fine. As I'm leaning over, I remember the cross was just dangling. And as I'm looking down, as that cross is dangling, I, I thought to myself, what does this mean? What, what is the cross all about? What is this? Because I knew about God, but I didn't have a relationship with him. I just knew enough about God that, that he loved me. Because I hear that all the time. And I remember, as I'm looking over, and I remember grabbing that cross, and, and I don't know, I didn't know at that time what it was, but I can now, that I know God's love, know what was happening at that moment. That God was loving me as best as I knew at that point. It's almost like God was looking down and saying, I, I got to give him something, something to, to hope in, that I, 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 I got to give him something that's going to remind him of my love. And at that time, it was the cross. The cross had no special powers. It was made in China. <laughs> so there's no special thing about the gold cross, but it did remind me of God's love. And it was three years after that, that that I came to know Christ. And it was at that moment that I gave my life to Christ that I understood, whoa, those moments that we seem to take for granted, a prayer that someone says for us, someone encouraging us, God showing up in some way, in even small ways, that it was big. And it is major for our lives when we come to that place of feeling like there's no more hope left. Listen, God's love never fails. And even when our life ends here, his love still never fails. His love is eternal. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it says that these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because God is the greatest and God is love. And if God's love never fails, why not that be our motivation and fuel for the life to live, that the life God gave to us and how we can change the atmosphere around us. His love never fails. Here's the last thing, that it's up to us to discipline ourselves. That's the other side to it, that although God has all the power, he has the love, it's up to us to discipline ourselves See, we're the only ones who can control our emotions. We're the only ones. No one else can control our emotions. They can help with it, but they can't control our emotions. Only we can. Imagine if we could control each other's emotions. I mean, that would be kind of a weird thing. You want someone to love you, you control their emotions to make them feel something towards you. 
or if someone is snapping, it's like, just turn them off. Sometimes we do that. We have a, like an like a invisible remote control. When they're talking, we're like, it's not working. How come it's not working? And we play and things like that. But sometimes we think, boy, it would be great if I could just, but we can't. We can't control each other's emotions, nor can anyone control how we respond. We're the only ones who can control how we respond to certain situations. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8, Paul the Apostle once again is telling young Timothy, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself. And here's why, Timothy, and this is the purpose. It's for the purpose of godliness. It's, you don't discipline yourself so that you look good, sound great, you can... You can uh, impress people or have, have someone look at you and say, wow, that's, that's inspirational. He says, no, 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 it's for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So we read it in English because this is the language that we most commonly speak, and you might speak another language, but that word discipline is, is actually translated from the Greek word gymnazo. And I'll write it for us because we're going to take a look at this word a little bit. So, gymnazo. This word means training. So, you're training yourself. But there's a word that is in here that looks familiar. The gym. So, Paul is saying to Timothy, he's using this word to say, put yourself in the gym spiritually. Timothy, yeah, you may exercise, and, and a lot of us are doing that because the beginning of the year, or if that's what you do, that's great. But he's saying, you can, you can do physical exercise. That's great, Timothy, but I'm telling you, spiritual exercise is far more important because it promises a life in this life and the life to come. So put yourself in the gym spiritually, Timothy. Put yourself in the gym. Work on, as, as much as you want to work on your physical muscles, work on your spiritual muscles. As much as you want to have a, a great way of thinking and you want to exercise your brain and books and reading, that's great. But also, Timothy, don't forget that you want to exercise your soul, that you want to exercise your spirit. You want to discipline yourself. You want to, you want to put yourself in the gymnasium of your spirit. You want to be there so that you can work out your spirit. And just like muscle just doesn't grow and we don't just shed fat... We exercise for that. Same thing spiritually. We don't just grow spiritually. We have to discipline ourselves. We have to gymnasium ourselves. We have to go into the gym spiritually in order for us to grow spiritually, to shed off all of the junk that doesn't belong there, that God wants us to get rid of. He says you got to put yourself in the gymnasium. You exercise your heart. You exercise your, your spirit. And you build that up. No one can go to the gym for you. That would be so good. Send your kids to the gym. Go run for daddy. Go, go run. Go 10 miles today. You get the energy. Eat some cookies and then go run. But I want the benefits of it. We can't do that. Neither can we do that spiritually. No one else is responsible for our discipline spiritually. Self-discipline is on us. And self-discipline is a tough one because it's not just about the spiritual side, it's the practical that comes from the spiritual. Because we're going to have moments that it doesn't seem spiritual. But we need self-discipline in those moments, lest our relationships go bad, lest we keep that, that 
harshness about ourselves or the qualities in our lives and the character qualities that are not godly. It's, it's as simple as, I'll give an example, just a simple example, and I'll kind of act it out. And, and you can use the principle. This may never happen to you, but the, the principle is there. Honey, did you see my keys? No, I didn't. I put it right here on the counter. I always put it here. We're the only ones home. There's nobody else in the house, and I always put it here. I just saw it here last night. Did you see my keys? No, I just told you I didn't see it. No, I know you said that, but just think. Did you see it any time? No, I just told you. Are, you. are you saying I took it? No, I'm not saying you took it. Well, it sounds like you're blaming me. Did I say I'm blaming you? Did I, no, I'm just asking. Did I say I'm blaming you? No, but it, see, it feels like it's my fault. Where did you put your keys? No, I put it right here. I told you I put it right here. Well, maybe you lost it. Oh, now you're blaming me. You see how that goes? And that's just keys. Imagine life. Like it takes a lot of self-discipline for us, even in relationships, just on the, the simple things. And it's those simple things that after years of not correcting that and, and having self-discipline, that ruins us. So it comes back to self-discipline because life is made up of 10% of what happens to us, 90% how we respond to what happens to us. It's going to happen in our response. It's, it's in our response that will determine our atmosphere, that we can no longer blame other people. Now, feeling hurt, feeling pain, feeling betrayed, feeling ignored, feeling like no one cares, those are real feelings. And you're going you're gonna, to, it's okay to feel that way. It's fine because we're going to feel like that. We're human beings. It's okay to feel like that. But when it comes to disciplining ourselves for godliness, it's okay to feel that way, but it's not okay to, it's not healthy. It's not healthy to stay there. We're going to feel that, but it's not healthy to stay there. God has the healing power. It may be someone else's fault that made you feel the way you do, but it's not their fault that you choose to stay there. It may be their fault in what they said because they demeaned you, they said something that hurt you. It may be their fault, but it's not their fault if you want to stay there and live that way. Jesus is able to bring the healing, but it's up to us to let him. That's why the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. See, how we respond to people, how we treat people, the things we talk about, does it make the atmosphere better or does it make it worse? I remember when, when, when Heidi gave birth to our firstborn, I was 15, she was 16, and we are in the hospital and Heidi is opening up gifts because the baby shower was supposed to be at that time. Well, she was giving birth. And we're all in the room and someone said something and it wasn't their intention to... To, uh, their intention was more of a question, which was a valid question. And, I, and now that I know the person, I know at that time their heart wasn't to demean me or make me feel less than. But they said this. They just asked, hey, how, so how old are you? And I said, oh, I'm 15. 15. And this was the response. You're not even old enough to drive. And you have a kid. And I took offense to that. And I remember at that moment, I said to myself, then I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm not going to fail at this. I'm going to do good. And, and, and that wasn't even his intention. But I took offense to it. There are offenses that we take on 
And that's not even the person's intention. And we carry that offense for so long. It took me some time to get rid of that offense, and it only came through the power and healing of Jesus Christ because Jesus was defining my life now. Once I gave my life to him after that incident about four years later, then I was able to understand, wait a minute, God, that doesn't define me. What I've done in my life, whether it seems like a failure or not, a mistake or whatever I may have done, the mistakes I made, that doesn't define me. You define me. So I got to release that and no longer let that be the motivation of me trying to be better. It was God being the motivation and his love on me trying to be who he created me to be. Because the question is, what kind of atmosphere do I want to have? What kind of atmosphere do I want to be in? Do I want to be in an atmosphere of happiness and joy and excitement, love and peace and calm? Because the atmosphere around us will always be determined by the atmosphere in us. Always. The atmosphere around us will always be determined by the atmosphere in us. The Bible even tells us in Matthew chapter 15, verses 9 and 20, uh, 19 and 20, it says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. And what Jesus was addressing is, he was addressing the Pharisees who says, wow, you didn't even wash your hands. You didn't go through the, the ceremonial hand washing before you eat. Therefore, you're defiled. That's why Jesus was answering this. And he continues, he says, these are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. They may add germs onto your food, but that's not what's going to defile you. I kind of threw that in. But what Jesus was saying is, it's, it's already in your heart. That's what's going to defile you. And if, if I don't ignite the atmosphere around me, if we don't do that, if we don't take responsibility for that, someone else will and the world will. And we may not like that atmosphere. So here's the encouragement. Let's, let's create an atmosphere and ignite the atmosphere around us that is worthy of his presence. That as Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says, and I'll close with this, that you will make known to me the path of life, that in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's ignite the atmosphere around us. In our very own lives, in our family, our marriages, wherever we would go. God has given us the power to do that. He's given us that kind of power. He's given us love and, and self-discipline. He's given that to us so that we can do something with it. Let's go train ourselves. Let's get into the Word of God. Let's continue to meet regularly, as the Bible says, as, as a church body. Encourage one another so that we're constantly gnadzo ourselves, that we're training for the purpose of godliness. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we have a God like you, that it really comes back to understanding what you did for us. And the reason why we want to ignite the atmosphere around us is because that's exactly what you did. You looked at the earth and mankind and you saw that there was no one that was good. You may have given favor, but we were doing things that were displeasing to you. You didn't look at the earth and say, what a waste. You look at the earth and say, and you said, how I love the people. And so what you did, God, is you left a perfect place called heaven. 
you came to this imperfect place. And you sent your one and only son. And Jesus, when you died on the cross, the atmosphere didn't look good. It seemed like the enemy won. It seemed like the devil took over, that you were gone, that the hope was now diminished and darkened. And that was the cross. But you were doing something, Lord. You were paying the price for all of our sins, that you were, you were being that final sacrifice for all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, which includes us even today. And because of the death, you, you paid the price for our sin. You were buried in the grave. And for three days, it seemed like all hope was gone. But it was on that third day that you rose from the grave. And that same resurrection power that raised you from the grave is the same resurrection power that you have given to us. So Lord, raise us up from the grave. Raise us up from when we feel darkened, when we feel dead on the inside. Raise us up so that when we feel like there's no more hope left, that you remind us of your love, that we would fan into flame the spiritual gift that you have given to us, the gift of Jesus Christ, that gift of love. Fan that into flame, Lord, in every single one of us so that wherever we would go, we would ignite the atmosphere around us so that people would see you. We're the church, Lord. You have given us that responsibility as well as that honor. No one else can ignite the atmosphere around us. It is dependent on us. So, Lord, we're commissioned by you. We're empowered by you to ignite the atmosphere wherever we would go. We thank you for that opportunity. And if you agree with that this morning, can you say amen together? Amen.